Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. The scripture reading this morning is going to come from the book of John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. If you're following along in your pew Bible, that is page 956. John 15, 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. What a very precious hymn. It never gets old. I have been hearing it sung uh, for more than 47 years for sure, and singing it for as many of those years as I've been capable. And uh, it is what is inspiring uh, our series of sermons this month, uh, which is entitled, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves Me. When we sing this song and we think about this, which is the most popular and well-known Christian hymn in the world, uh, we, we ought to ask, what is this song really about? We could say that it spreads the truth that Jesus, in fact, loves us all. That's definitely something that this song is really about. Uh, we could say that it teaches us that the Bible is a trustworthy guide. You know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And so as we teach this song to children, we're teaching them of the fact of Jesus' love, and we're pointing them to the Word of God, which is the reason why we know of Jesus' love and of what uh, He has done for us on the cross and uh, through His resurrection. Uh, we learn a little something about mortality and immortality. You know, uh, I, I am weak, he is strong. We, we sing that third verse, which we don't often sing today, uh, which, of course, is a throwback to the original purpose of the hymn we talked about last Sunday in introducing this series. And, uh, you know, that Jesus loves us in spite of our weakness. And, in fact, he is the strong one who has done everything that it takes to help cure us of our weakness, ultimately, to give us the hope of resurrection and eternal life uh, with him in glory. And, of course, it teaches the gospel. Uh, it teaches that Jesus died for our sins, and our sins can be washed away through our faith in him. And it teaches our obligation to Jesus. The, the end of that last line, we're all singing together that we're going to make a good faith effort to follow Jesus for the rest of our lives, and we believe we ought to be praying that he'll help us to do that. But ultimately, you know what the, the song is about. The song is about children. 
It, it is all of these things with children in mind. It teaches these truths to teach them to children. And it not only does it teach these truths to children, but the ingenious way that this song was composed and, and put to music makes it so appealing to children and so easy to learn. There's no other hymn like it. It is just gloriously beautiful and precious, and I hope you love it as much as I do. And so today, in this second installment in this series, I want to talk about uh, children. I want to talk about what Jesus thinks about children and what he would have us to know about our responsibility to our children and to the children that are committed to our care in the church of his dear son, of God's dear son. And I want you to listen to this, okay? Every child in the world deserves to know Jesus' love. Everyone does. And it is, I would say, at least arguable that the saddest thing in the world is that there are children who never, ever really learn of it, at least not effectively. The Bible is God's Word. Every child in the world deserves to know this truth. The Bible is the lamp to our feet and the light to our pathway that God has given us, and it is the only one, it is the only guide that, that leads us to Christ, to salvation in Him, and to the hope of eternal life. And everyone in the world who is not given the opportunity to study and, and follow the teachings of Scripture is being robbed of what matters most to them in life. Every child in the world deserves to know that every word of the Bible is truth. John 17, verse 17. That Jesus' death and resurrection opened thee, and I underline thee, because it is the only pathway that leads to never-ending life. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 10, Jesus Christ has opened the door to life and immortality through the gospel, and there's no other hope for life and immortality. Every child in the world deserves to know that we all owe Jesus everything up to and including our own selves, our own lives, and therefore we must, the only way to be good people is that we must faithfully, even though our obedience is imperfect, we must faithfully obey him all our lives or we will die in our sins, hopeless and destined for an eternity in hell. Now, that's maybe the hard end of that truth, but it's true. And children need to know it. And those that know it young are more likely to respect it when old and to live their lives in a way that is consistent with God's will. Considering everything that Jesus has done for us, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you by the mercies of Christ to present your bodies, your bodies, the whole of you, a living sacrifice. In other words, you're to imitate Christ who is our living sacrifice. So you continue to live as if sacrificed to God, given wholly over to God so that every thought, every word, every deed is loyal to God and, and in service to God. And, and Paul tells us in this context that it's the only reasonable service of worship that we can give in response to what has been given for us. You're probably familiar with at least one of the versions in the Gospels of this context. Mark 10, 13 through 16 is the one I've chosen to read to guide us today. But we read in this context that they, that is the people of Israel, were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. In other words, the apostles 
uh, said, why are you wasting Jesus' time bringing these little kids to him? They can't understand what he's teaching. Get them on out of here. That's kind of the idea. If they were Southerners, that's the way they might have said it. All right? So they said it in Aramaic or Greek or something. But that's what they said. All right? And so when Jesus saw it, when he saw what they were doing and turning these families away that were bringing their children to be blessed by Jesus, he was indignant. Do you see that? He was indignant. It upset him. He was not okay with that. He was unhappy with what they were doing. He was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not inherit it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Of course, we see in this context that children are born in innocence. It doesn't mean that they're perfect little moral creatures. It means they're innocent. They don't yet understand their actions or the consequences of them. They already have a built-in framework of, of understanding the, the sense that there is good and evil, but they have to be taught by their parents and by others who will fulfill a parent-like role as a teacher in their lives so that they can understand the right way to go and the wrong ways to avoid. And it's only when they reach an age of accountability where they do understand right from wrong and they get the concept of the consequences for their actions and they realize that they have become sinners against God that at that point they are obligated to obey the gospel as an act of their own free will. And if they refuse to do it, they will fall into the sin that dominates the world. And Satan will rule their lives. There's only two choices. You will serve Jesus or you will serve the devil. There is no middle ground because the devil is the ruler of this world as long as God continues to delay the return of his, his son, our coming king. And so in this passage tells us, even as adults, even as people who know right from wrong, we won't come to the kingdom unless we come to it like a child, not as a child, but like a child, as a child in the sense that we are coming to it like a child would come to a teacher, to an adult. A child comes to a trusted parent, a trusted teacher, a trusted adult, and absolutely, completely, fully, trustingly, surrenderingly lets them teach them what's right and wrong and guide them and protect them and provide for them and preserve them and so on. And that's what Jesus says that all of us, we all ought to recognize that we're the children of God and we ought to come to him with that kind of a mindset. I trust your teachings, God, implicitly. Everything you say is right. I will follow it all. You're the one who protects me. I trust in your protection. You're the one who loves me. I'm going to look up to you. That's the mindset that Jesus teaches us all to have in this context. But as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and, and teachers and preachers and elders and deacons and people who are given some degree of influence over the children among us in the church, we need to make sure that we're doing one thing, which is the really one commandment of that text we just read from Mark. One thing, that we are not hindering children from coming to Jesus. That's what we've got to make sure that we're doing, or in this case, that we're not doing, that we are not hindering children to come to Jesus. And so I want to talk just for a few minutes about the care and maintenance of children. And I've chosen six passages that we're going to go through, some of them more quickly, some of them we'll spend a few more moments with. But each one of these passages has something to say about the care and maintenance of children from God's perspective. And I, I think if we can all absorb the teachings of these six passages and put them into application in our lives, wherever it is that we have an influence over children, and I say this especially to those of you in the room today that are parents raising children, whether small children or big children doesn't really matter to me, 
whether, Lord willing, you soon will be in a, in a position to be raising children sometime in the next few years. I'm asking all of us to listen to this because we all have a responsibility, but I especially want you to tune in and pay attention to every single word of this lesson because I cannot overstress how important it is that we learn that it is absolute, it is the most important thing we're doing as the church teaching children, period. The most important thing we're doing as the church is raising children. That is, that is the first step, the first tier of our mission as the sons and daughters of God. If we neglect the care and maintenance of our children spiritually, we lose it all. We lose it all. Let's start in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want us to read verses 14 and the first part of verse 15. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And notice what he says in verse 15. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Now, the Apostle Paul here is assuming a father-like role over the church, the whole church at Corinth, which certainly included little children, babies and little toddlers and children and teenagers and everything, and adults too. But God had given the Apostle Paul sort of a paternal role as the guide and teacher of this church. And so he speaks as a father, and he draws upon a truth here that he expects that every parent ought to already know. It's not the children's job to store up and lay up things for their parents to enjoy. It's the parents' responsibility to build up and store up things for the children to enjoy. And so Paul has given us a principle that applies to parenthood, but he's saying, this is what I'm trying to do as an apostle and a preacher uh, to you, brothers and sisters in the church at Corinth. I would tell you this, that if you were in the role of a teacher, whether a preacher or a Bible class teacher, the teaching roles of the elders, if you're in a role like that in the church, there is a certain sense in which you are called to be a parent-like figure to those that you are leading and teaching. And that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't violate Jesus' teaching in Matthew 23. That's not what he was talking about. And so Paul assumes that role. And I want us to recognize, I love what he says in verse 15, I will gladly spend for your souls. And I will gladly be spent for your souls. Parents, what matters in your life is that you fulfill your obligation to God by raising your children up in His discipline and His instruction. If it kills you, if it kills you, that's what you do. You spend for them and you allow yourself to be spent for them. Even during that decade or so, in which they completely do not appreciate it at all, for the most part. If you do it, one day they'll come around. And they will realize what a wonderful thing that you've done for them. Galatians chapter 4, our second passage then. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Just one verse there. Again, listen to the Apostle Paul. He says, my little children for whom I am to whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Again, the Apostle Paul takes on this parental role 
uh, as, as a way to describe what he's doing and leading and shaping and teaching the churches of the region of Galatia. And in this sense, he doesn't take on the paternal role. In a sense, he takes on the, the idea of the role of a mother. And he says, what I'm doing, you, you brothers and sisters in the churches of Galatia, what I'm doing in my mission work, what I'm doing in my teaching and in my labors for you, I am like a woman in labor. I'm going to continue to endure this pain. I'm going to continue to spin myself in a way that, that leads to suffering until, notice what he says, until Christ is formed in you. Let me tell you something extremely important extremely important about raising up anyone in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The end result is the end result. The goal is the goal. And the goal is to have Christ formed in every single person. Let me tell you what that means. What that means is that, that a parent's job is not just to live in this world like everybody else lives in the world, but with this one exception that you bring your kids to Sunday school every Sunday and think that somehow you're accomplishing a parent's role by doing that. That falls far short of what the Bible is teaching us as parents to do. Just bringing your kids to church will very rarely, it will almost never lead to Christ. Listen, it will almost never lead to Christ being formed in that child. It is not enough just to bring them to church. You have to give them a home life that is absolutely immersed in Christ so that everything about everything that you say and do is Jesus and is the church and is the Bible and is about the will and the Word of God. Everything, are you listening? The goal is not just to get your children to believe in Jesus and to make some confession and one day to get dunked underwater and be baptized and they've gone and jumped through those hoops and those steps and they will live the rest of their life however it is they want to live as long as they just keep coming to church on Sunday. That is not true Christianity. True Christianity is discipleship. It is to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. A learner from Jesus, a student of Jesus. Someone who is trying to imitate Jesus. Your goal in raising children is to form Christ in their hearts so that by the time they're grown up, they think like Jesus thinks. That is the goal. And this is what Paul had as his goal for the churches in Galatians. Parents, do I need to repeat this? I don't know. But it's, it's been so sad over my life, so sad over my life to see countless young people fall away from the faith and to watch their parents weeping and just sad and bitter and confused about what's going on. Well, I brought my little boy, I brought my little girl to church and to Bible class every single Sunday all their lives. But in that conversation, I know that was the end of it. And they didn't mean bad. They meant well. Just they didn't really know their Bible. No one had really ever taught them what the actual job was. Bringing your kids to church is a part of it, an essential part, but it's just part, man. Being a Christian is about the whole, every aspect of our lives. Moving on then to, to Ephesians chapter 6. This is where we get into passages you're probably more familiar with in teaching and sermons about, you know, the, the, the care and maintenance of children. But let's look at Ephesians 6 verses 1 through 4. Listen again to the Word of God. Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Hold on just a second. Kids... Hey, kids, are you listening? Kids, 
You know, sometimes you got to take a minute to get everybody's attention. Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Boys and girls, do what your parents say. And if God has given you Christian parents, you have been blessed beyond your ability to understand in this phase of life at just how much God has graced you. Make your parents proud. Don't make them suffer. Verse 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord, discipline and instruction of the Lord, another version says. In other words, you teach them the Lord's teachings and you discipline them to obey those teachings. That's what this passage means. It means you teach it and you enforce it in your home. This idea that a parent's job is just to give their children this perfect little life where they have all their needs met and they leave them alone to develop their minds however it is that they want to develop them and let them grow up someday so that they can make their own choice about what they want to believe in. There is, there is nothing more hateful that you could possibly do to your child than to leave their developing mind to the ruler of this world, to Satan, to teach them what it is that they should stand for. And that, of course, is what's going all around us in America today. And forgive me if I get a little passionate about it. I'm in a really good mood, but uh, just circumstances being what they are in our world right now, I'm a little intense about this. And we need to be. All right, I don't think I got through the end of the reading. Uh, yes, I guess I did. Uh, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I completely off track there. But that passage is more of a, 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 I mean, it says what it means, and it means what it says. It says, children, obey your parents. It says, parents, raise up your children. Fathers are specifically mentioned here, but as uh, the wife, the mama, is supposed to come alongside her husband and share in the mission that God has given him, mom and daddies are called to bring up their children, the teaching of Christ and the discipline to enforce that teaching in their home. If you live under my roof, you will at least make an effort to follow Jesus or you'd better find another roof. That's the rule for my house. And it ought to be the rule for your house. If you're going to raise children, you need to teach them that that's the rule for your house. And you need to make sure you explain to them why that's the rule for your house. But it had best be the rule for your house. Let's go now to the book of Colossians chapter 3. The book of Colossians chapter 3. And I really love the way that this passage uh, words things. Colossians 3 verses 18 through 21. Again, listen to the Apostle Paul. It begins now talking about wives and husbands. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We see this is a, a parallel passage to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, folks have often said Ephesians and Colossians are sister letters or sister epistles, and that's true. They're very similar. Just a slight different emphasis, but very similar contents. And so we have this parallel passage here that says, well, some of the similar things ultimately. But I want you to notice it begins by talking to mamas and daddies, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, this is a, a very greatly misunderstood teaching and most people just kind of really oversimplify the, the biblical teaching about submission in order to say, well, the one who submits to the other one is the servant, and the one they submit to is the boss. 
And this is one of the things that's caused a lot of problems in our world today with the rejection of, a, of a, the biblical teaching about the roles of men and women. It's, it's partially because of misunderstanding submission. Just think about the word submission for a moment and break it down. All right, I'm just going to focus on the prefix and the rest of the word. All right, sub, to come under, under, under something, under mission. So a wife submits to her husband. What does that mean? It means she comes under the mission of her husband. That's what the word means. It means she takes on his name, she takes on his family, and she gives the rest of her life to being a helper to her husband so that he can accomplish the mission that God wants to accomplish through him. And that is her mission to God. That is what the Bible teaches. It doesn't teach that he's the boss and that she's a slave. He barks commands and she's a doormat. In fact, sisters, if you've come under the mission of your husband and your job now in life is to see to it that he succeeds as the spiritual leader of your family and the guide to your children, then if your husband is making decisions and, and going in a direction that is going to, to make that difficult, you're going to open your mouth and you're going to speak under the mission of your husband and tell him he's wrong. Does that make sense? Don't misunderstand the Bible's teaching about submission. Understand what it actually means. What children need in the home is a daddy who is imitating Jesus Christ and a mama who is imitating the church. And in so doing, they're given the greatest lesson they can ever be given about how we relate to God and come into our saved condition in association with him. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 13. The Apostle Paul again, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 13. Paul talks about himself and his missionary companions. He says, but we were gentle among you. Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Paul continues in verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you should walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but what it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Brothers and sisters, actions speak louder than words. And it's not that actions are more important than words. Ultimately, God, listen, God has chosen to use words to create faith in the hearts of the people that he's saving. The whole purpose of the church is to share the word of God and to uphold the truth of it, to believe it, to speak it, to live it out in every way. And so we preach, we, I preach from this pulpit. Our, all of our teachers teach from our Bible class lecterns wherever they are in this facility. We go out in the community each week and we share the gospel with whoever it is that, that will let us talk to them in the places that we go uh, doing the things that we do. And ultimately at home, brothers and sisters, at home, this has got to be just absolutely ground zero of our mission field. We've got to be speaking the word of God in our home. Remember what uh, 
what Moses taught in Deuteronomy 6, that you should, you should talk about it when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go on the way, uh, you know, paint it as, uh, a, a, on your doorposts, put it up on your walls in your house and so on. Uh, just completely give your family an environment in which they're, worst, that they're immersed in the Word of God. But listen, you can preach, 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 preach. But if you don't do, the whole thing is going to backfire on you. Now listen, I'll tell you one thing that you cannot give your children. Fathers, one thing that, one thing that you cannot give your children by yourself is a perfect father. Mothers, there's one thing you cannot give to your children, and that is a perfect mother. My daddy's far from perfect. My mama's not perfect either. But I will tell you one thing that they did. They, they lived out the teachings of these passages in my life and in my childhood. And, and times when they made mistakes, they were willing to come and to admit those mistakes and to apologize. And what they did in so doing was show that they were not the ultimate authority that, that Jesus was. That's what they showed that they were people who were living under the lordship of Christ just as they were teaching me to do and teaching me how to handle living with a sinful nature that we all deal with in life with a tendency to do wrong. And how do we deal with that? It's the hardest thing in life to deal with. And we need parents who will model being imperfect but being faithful so that children can grow up in that environment and they can see my, my parents are not perfect but they're not hypocrites. They believe what they're teaching to me. I can tell because they're trying to practice it. Man, if you will do that with prayer and just immerse your family life in prayer, you can't lose. You can't lose. The Word of God is powerful. Our final passage, which may or may not have been written by the Apostle Paul, depending on your theory about who wrote the book of Hebrews, is Hebrews 12. Uh, verses 7 through 11. Listen here to this passage. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. The writer says, if you endure chastening, which is a fun word to use in your home, and I, I would encourage you parents when you have to discipline your children to sometimes find the means to use the word chastening because it'll just make it all more fun for you. Maybe not for them. Uh, and maybe you should consider that sometimes. But that's what it means, discipline here. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. Do you see that? You see that. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. In other words, God is disciplining you as sons, as his sons and daughters. And, and that, that example that God is setting is one for earthly parents to imitate because God is the perfect father. I can't give my kids a perfect father in me, but I can lead them to the one who is a perfect father. And, and, I, and if I'm going to do that, I've got to imitate him, Ephesians 5, verse 1. And if he disciplines every son or daughter that he receives, i got to discipline mine, right? Make straight paths. Uh, let me see, where are we? Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, verse 8. But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful in the present, uh, but painful Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This passage teaches us the absolute essentiality of a discipline program at home. And I do believe that it should include at least the possibility of what we might call uh, corporal punishment, not capital punishment necessarily, corporal punishment, that is spankings. 
God has given children a, a very wonderful little spot that usually has lots of padding on it that you can hit with your hand or with a wooden spoon or a paddle or something like that, and it will do absolutely zero lasting harm to their bodies. But it sure enough can do a lot of lasting benefit to their minds. But listen now, if spanking is the only thing you've got in your toolkit, you don't have a discipline program. You just have punishment. And punishment has got to be a part of discipline. There's got to be negative reinforcement. But brothers and sisters, don't we know from our own lives and our own uh, educations and our own jobs and everything that we, we like positive reinforcement a lot too? We like to get an attaboy or girl every now and then, a little reward for doing something right. There needs to be love shared even in times in which discipline must include punishment. But I want to encourage you as parents to imitate God's program of discipline, which includes teaching, building up, comforting when one has failed. And when one has been punished as an aspect of discipline, a good parent then comes to the child, puts his or her arm around them, comforts them, explains why it, we had to go this route. So the child is trained by it. That's the purpose of it. So I want you to understand that if you think, well, hey, I spank my children when they do something wrong. I put them in time out and I do these things. If all you've got is punishment, you're not getting the job done. And if you're saying, well, I don't know how to do anything other than that, talk to me after service and we'll sit down and talk. I love what John says in 3 John chapter 4. And of course, he's talking about the whole church, but the principle applies. He has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. I can say about my two sons, I have no greater joy in life than to hear that my sons are walking in the truth. And that ought to be the desire of every single Christian parent in the world. Yeah, we've talked a bunch since Wednesday about what happened right here in our own city this past week. And I just want to say this as a warning. Satan is real. He's not make-believe. He'd love for you to think he is because he's a liar and he doesn't care if you believe in him or not. But Satan has one aim, one aim, and that is to get your children good and well deceived. And to, to whatever degree he can, listen to me, to whatever degree he's able to weaponize them against you who love them and care about them the most. This poor girl, I'm sorry for how she left this life because it wasn't right with God. I know she was taught better. Oh, what a mess. What a mess the devil made of that life and the lives that she affected. He weaponized her, and she went to hurt the people who had loved her the most. That's the devil. And parents, grandparents, teachers, please, I beg you, take your role Seriously, the stakes are incredibly high in this life. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, the Apostle Paul, slightly altering the verse just to apply it to us, says that we should not be outwitted by Satan. It just shouldn't happen because we're not ignorant of his designs. We know what he does. We know how he does it. Brothers and sisters, there's going to be more to say as we continue this series, but that's our lesson for today. And it is my hope and prayer that everyone who in any way at all 
is, has been given by God, gifted by God, with the ability to influence the children of this church. Now, we can't control the influence of all the children in the world, but listen, be encouraged, because the better job that we do as parents and teachers and church leaders here and raising up the children among us in the discipline and instruction uh, of God, the greater work they're going to be able to do. Over the course of their lifetimes, which if the Lord's return is delayed, we pray will be long beyond the end of ours. And they can reach people continually all their lives that we can't reach. The better job we can do here of raising up children in the faith, the better job we're going to continue to be able to do of spreading the influence of Christ in the world so that junk like what happened in our city this past week stops happening. And that's not the only thing, though. It's not just the extreme. But there are plenty of former little baby children who were brought up in the church who will never strap on body armor and go in and shoot innocent people, but nevertheless have turned away from the Lord. You don't have to go all the way. Be as bad as you can be to be bad. And so parents, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to be good, to be good parents. Give your children the shot that they deserve. This morning, if you're subject to the invitation of God, by that I mean if you are a person that knows that you're accountable for your actions, you understand that you've sinned against God, and you haven't yet come to him for forgiveness, come, confess the name of Jesus today. Obey the biblical command to have your sins washed away in baptism. Let today be the beginning of your lifelong and, and eternal walk with God in faith. You'll become a part of the solution and no longer be a part of the problem. And this morning, if you're a baptized believer that needs our prayers, the front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.